Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Jesus proclaiming people. Amen. This morning we are in the Gospel of Mark once again, in Mark chapter 8, as we continue this series on the glory of the Gospel. And this morning I want us to zero in on this thought of the invitation of the Gospel. And the reality is invitations can be wonderful or they can be somewhat dreadful. Uh, if you were, uh, depending on what kind of student you were growing up uh, through elementary school, junior high, and high school, maybe you were invited to the principal's office. Uh, we won't ask for a show of hands, but usually in the middle of the day when the principal invites you to their office, it's not usually because they want to say they're so glad that you're in the school. But sometimes invitations are wonderful. About a year ago at this time, I was invited by our district leadership to go, uh, a small group of us, down to a, a church multiplication seminar, a conference, uh, the largest in the world, down in Orlando, Florida. And so while it was bitter cold here, uh, we were enjoying 90 degrees in Orlando uh, almost a year ago. That was a good invitation. Let's look at this invitation and what exactly it is that Jesus is inviting us to with the gospel. Because on the one hand, it is a wonderful invitation, but on the other hand, it can be almost a dreadful invitation, depending how we look at it. So Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 31, where it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders, and the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And I love that Mark throws that in, that Jesus was saying this plainly because the disciples were somewhat thick in that they didn't quite get it. And whenever Jesus talks about the fact that he was going to suffer and die and rise from the dead, something just wasn't computing with them for a long time. And, and here as we get to Mark 8, Jesus is trying to make it as plain as possible to them. But sadly, even when it begins to happen, they still don't fully understand it. I mean, he's saying, look, guys, I am going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, I am going to be killed, and in three days rise again. But again, still not getting it. Still not quite registering to them. They're still confused. And I wonder why that is. Why was it that the disciples had such a hard time reconciling what Jesus was saying? I wonder if, to some degree, it's much like us, where we hear something and we understand it mentally, but it hasn't quite grabbed our hearts. That, okay, yeah, Jesus, but you've said a lot of weird things and you kind of speak in the weird terms sometimes, so we're not quite sure if you're serious or not. And 
There was a part of their hearts that didn't want to accept this and didn't want to believe what Jesus was saying. In fact, so much so that it goes on to say, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. We would never rebuke Jesus, would we? And we kind of do sometimes, don't we? When he's not doing what we want, when we want, sometimes we have a few words with him. But Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. And the word for rebuke there literally means to censor severely, to charge with a fault, to chide, re reprove, or forbid. This is strong language. Peter says, Jesus, no, that is not going to happen. And Peter even getting so bold, essentially saying to Jesus, not on my watch, no way. Nothing like that is ever going to happen to you. Now, I think we need to understand that Peter has the best of intentions here. Peter's not just trying to be some arrogant, cocky guy saying, well, Jesus, not as long as you have me because I'm super tough and I'm going to defend you. This is Peter from the depths of his heart saying, Master, we don't, we don't want that to happen, and we're going to do everything that we can to keep that from happening to you. Because it could be very easy for Peter and the disciples to see Jesus making this comment as almost a reflection of their inability to defend him. Kind of like Jesus saying, well, because you guys are a bunch of wimps, I'm going to end up suffering, being rejected, and killed. And Peter's like, no way. We will do whatever it takes to keep you safe, to protect you. So everything in Peter is doing this from a place of good motives. But then in verse 33, it says, but turning and seeing his disciples. So in other words, you know, if one of them pulls Jesus aside and kind of scolds him, it's going to draw attention. And so everybody's kind of watching what Peter is doing here with Jesus. And, and Jesus sees that Peter's drawn attention here. And he rebukes Peter. And says, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Again, is Peter saying something evil? No. I mean, which one of us, if the person we love more than anything, said, you know, I'm going to suffer and die. How many of us would step forward and say, I'm never going to let that happen to you? I care too much about you. And this is all that Peter thinks he's doing is saying, Jesus, we're going to protect you. Whatever the cost, whatever's necessary, we're going to make sure this never happens to you. But notice what Jesus says about this. Get behind me, Satan. That even with Peter's best intentions, Satan was working through Peter's words. And Jesus identifies and says, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter wants to save Jesus, protect Jesus, defend Jesus at all costs, to prove his loyalty to Jesus. And this is commendable, if not for the fact that this wasn't the plan of God. The plan of God was everything Jesus said in verse 31. The plan of God was all of verse 31 must come to fulfillment. Our salvation depends on Peter's failure to protect Jesus. So that Jesus can go to the cross and take the punishment for our sins. But the problem with Peter wasn't that he was acting out of some evil motive. The problem with Peter was he was acting from a human perspective. And that's what Jesus identifies there. You, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
Jesus says, Peter, you're looking at this from a human perspective. And Peter, you look at this and say that anything of the sort, anything negative that could happen to Jesus must be bad. And we can do the same too, can't we? Anything that's, that goes wrong in life, we can say, well, this, this isn't good. This can't be of God. And sometimes simply looking at things through a human perspective gives ground for the enemy to begin to work through that and twist that in us. But verse 34, it says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, we like to focus on that verse, but we forget why Jesus is saying it. Jesus says this in response to the conversation he just had with Peter. And what was the problem that Jesus had with Peter's statement? The problem he had with it was it was looking at things from a human perspective, not from a kingdom perspective. And so Jesus uses this as a teaching moment to say, if anybody wants to follow me, if anybody wants to come after me, they need to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. The word for deny there means to forget oneself, to lose sight of one's own self and one's own self-interests. To stop looking at life through our own perspective. Or to affirm that one has no acquaintance or connection with someone or something. So Jesus says, sever your connection to looking at things the way the world does. Sever your connection from reacting from a, a natural way or a human way. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And of course they knew what Jesus was talking about. They didn't connect the cross to him, but of course under the Roman Empire they knew cross meant instrument of death. It would be like somebody saying today, you know, take up your electric chair and follow me, or take up your lethal needle and follow me. Take up your instrument of death and follow me. Sometimes we like to say, well, it's my cross to bear in life, as it, you know, it's, it's, it's an inconvenience. I could say, you know, being bald is my cross to bear. No, it's not. It's annoying. It's inconvenient. I'd much rather have thick locks of hair, but it's not a burden to bear. It's not a cross to bear in life. It's not an instrument of death to me. Jesus says, if you want to come after me, you basically need to embrace death to yourself. Death to what you want. Death to how you think things ought to be. Death to your own trying to control everything around you. And he goes on to say, verse 35, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This is what Peter was trying to do. He was trying to save his life. I mean, yes, he was trying to save Jesus, but also Peter was trying to save the life that he had come to know and love. Peter's life was now defined as spending 24-7 with Jesus. And Jesus was now saying, Peter, that's about to be taken away from you. Peter says, no, I like what I have. I don't want to let go of that. I want to protect what we have. I want to protect my life. I want to protect things the way that I know them. But Jesus says, if you try to save your life, protect your life, you'll lose it. But 
if you lose your life, if you abandon your agenda for my sake in the Gospels, then and only then will you save it. This is part of the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. What makes sense to the world makes no sense in the kingdom, and what makes sense in the kingdom makes no sense in the world. Jesus continues to drive that point in verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. It's interesting that Jesus talks about being ashamed of him. Because, again, Jesus is still responding to Peter's words. I mean, Peter comes off very bold in this moment, like, no way, Jesus, we're going to defend you tooth and nail. But yet when Jesus is arrested, and he's being beaten, and a little teenage girl by a fire pit says, hey, weren't you one of his followers? The man goes ballistic this profanity-laced denial that he even knew who Jesus was. Jesus warns them about being ashamed. The word ashamed is meaning the, the painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, or ridiculous. Three times the very night Jesus was arrested. Peter decided that being associated with Jesus was painful. It was a painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, or ridiculous. This man who so confidently said, Jesus, we're never going to let that happen to you. Three times the night he's arrested decides, I want nothing to do with him. Because I don't want to suffer the same fate. Again, Peter saying, I want to protect my own life. Despite what Jesus had told him about in advance here in Mark chapter 8. The invitation of the gospel is the invitation to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. To deny yourself, to set aside your own agendas, your own wants, your own preferences, and walk in the way of Jesus, which is the way of death. The way of going to the cross with Jesus, of taking up your own cross and laying down your own life so that Jesus can now live in you and live through you. Again, I said as we began that this is a wonderful invitation, but it's also a dreadful invitation. It's dreadful because it goes against everything that comes naturally to us. Sometimes we can find ourselves in life as if we're the captain of a big boat and we're on a, a, the ocean just being rocked by a storm and waves and, and we are white-knuckling the controls of that ship, desperately trying to keep it under control. It reminds me of... Several years ago, I was teaching for Moody Bible Institute, and it was an extension classroom in Akron. So it was about a half-hour drive back home, and during the class, a blizzard had broken out. And so I got on the Ohio Turnpike to get back home, that half-hour drive, and you couldn't see a thing. 
You couldn't tell what was the road, what was the grass. Uh, you couldn't tell what was the median strip. You couldn't, it was just pure white stretched out. You had no idea where the road was. And so we were all crawling and we were white knuckling our steering wheels just hoping that what we're driving on is in fact road. And sometimes we live life that way. Things aren't going the way that we want them to or things are kind of spinning out of control or, or we're desperately trying to just make things better around us and we just, we have this clutch of control on life and Jesus says, let go. Let go. And let me have my way. There's that old saying that sometimes gets annoying, but it's let go and let God. Let go of what and let God do what? Let go of trying to control the world. Let go of trying to control your circumstances. Let go of trying to make things work out the way that you want them to. Because again, what the cross of Jesus shows us is that even in the worst of circumstances, God's will is being done. This morning in the Sunday School class, Lloyd had a great uh, talk about the life of St. Patrick and how it was in the middle of years of suffering that Patrick came to a point of surrender to Jesus. And sometimes we so believe that just anything in life that's not going well is to be avoided or run away from, but sometimes it's in the middle of that darkness that Jesus is standing waiting for us. But if we seek to save our lives and cling on to our own way and we fail to deny ourselves, we miss out on what God is seeking to do. We miss out on the invitation of the gospel to embrace living in the way of Jesus. To embrace how Jesus wants to show himself to us, what Jesus is trying to do in our lives. Again, the invitation of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. It's a wonderful invitation. And it's a dreadful invitation. It's the last thing that we want to do. To let go of our need to have things work out the way that we want them to. To let go of the need to protect ourselves and everything that we hold comfortable. Think about all the examples we see throughout Scripture. Sometimes we associate following Jesus with, okay, Lord, but as long as it fits in my comfort zone. If we take comfort zone living and try to pass that filter through Scripture, it's not going to get very far. Jesus seldom calls people to live within what's comfortable. But we do see over and over his invitation for people to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him. And the invitation is there for us as well. This morning, what are you clutching desperately? I remember for years with when Aaron and Kayla were younger, just living in the sense of, I just need to hold them close and just make sure that they are protected 24 seven and the older they got and the harder it was to do that, the more I was wrestling and realizing, 
Lord, uh, somehow I've come to think that they're safer in my hands than yours. We're looking at the world around us and it's not going the way that I want to, so I need to ever try to control what's happening in the world. It's like trying to take a little cup and think, I'm just going to scoop up the Atlantic Ocean. What are you clinging to? Are you trying to cling to how God's working in your life? Lord, this, this isn't what I want. This isn't how I agreed to let you work in my life. Somehow we've got that notion in modern Christianity that when you give your life to Jesus, it's just sunshine and lollipops. And Lord, my life isn't sunshine and lollipops. What's going wrong? And somehow we think that if we can just wrestle that back, and Lord, I'm going to make you make my life sunshine and lollipops, that somehow it's going to work out that way. That invitation of the gospel is the invitation to deny ourselves, to let go of control, to take up the instrument of death, and allow Jesus to live through us. What part of your life are you holding back from him? It's very easy for us to say, Jesus, I surrender all control of my life to you. But then we've kind of got one hand behind the back, and he's like, what's that? Nothing. What are you holding behind your back? What's that one last thing that you can't quite release and trust to him? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In what areas of life are we refusing to let go? And let Jesus have the control. Let's pray.